The T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart. Is now in. Glad to have you here on this magnificent Monday edition of the TC Martin Show. <laughs> yes, it is. We're coming back at you after a long holiday weekend. All good. Uh huh. Little Thanksgiving. I hope uh, everyone enjoyed uh, their food as as much as I did, and we know how that goes. How much I enjoy food, but uh, yes, uh, very nice Thanksgiving Day weekend, and of course, we got a lot to hit on on today's show as well. Too today, another star-studded guest, uh, action-packed show. Houston Nutt is going to join us, the uh, former football coach at Ole Miss and Arkansas. He will join us uh, a little bit later on this hour. We'll talk to Houston about the college football that we saw last weekend, college football playoff as well, too, and some coaching moves. We'll dive into that today as well. Next hour, Matthew Hood will be joining us from U.S. Integrity and Chuck Esposito, a couple of our regular Monday guests, as we recap the NFL and the college football weekend from the betting perspective. And then, uh, of course, we got Monday Night Football to talk about tonight as well, too, as the Colts will be taking on the Steelers, a couple teams that still have playoff hopes alive. So we'll dive into that today. So, yes, jam-packed show. Glad to have everyone with us here on this Monday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. All right, so a lot to hit on today. Uh, the Raiders, very, very impressive with their victory yesterday, now making it two in a row. Uh, we are going to dive into that. But uh, we start the show off with some breaking news that we had um, uh, had talked about that this could actually be happening and today. It actually happened where UNLV relieved Marcus Arroyo of his head coaching duties and Marcus Arroyo no longer the football coach here at UNLV. Now, Arroyo ends his stint as head coach with a three-year record of 7-23. and That is a 233 winning percentage, including 5-17 and in the Mountain West Conference uh, overall in his three years. This year, no surprise, major disappointment. This season started off four and one. We talked a lot about this over the last couple of weeks, especially last week, knowing that this could possibly be happening. And as we talked about it on last Tuesday, UNLV started off four and one this year. They lost six in a row. Yes, they won on Saturday. They defeated their arch rival, UNR, who came into this football game on Saturday at Allegiant Stadium two and nine, and UNLV ends up finishing this season five and seven. All right. So I have a lot to speak on here and I want to get into Raiders for this segment, but I definitely, you know, want to hit on this topic as well too, because it is local. Now we know that, 
UNLV football has been a disaster for a long time. We've talked about that time and time again. All right. So this program has had one winning season going back in the last 20 years. All right. 2013 in that one season was a seven victory season with six losses. Expectations were much higher this year for these reasons. The Mountain West Conference was not very good. They were down this year. You have finally better facilities at UNLV. Thanks mostly to the Fertitas and Tony Sanchez for helping raise all that money. But of course, as we know, Tony Sanchez was let go three years ago. And UNLV has gone through now, it almost seems like, a cycle of athletic directors. They have a bigger budget to work with. You're now playing your home games at Allegiant Stadium. So expectations were higher. Marcus Arroyo relieved of his duties after three years. I am totally fine with this. And UNLV football fans should be totally fine with this. If you are not fine with this, then that just subscribes to the theory is that UNLV football is not that important. If you're taking a barometer and saying that, well, Marcus Arroyo went from two wins to five wins, that that's improvement. No, it's not improvement. It's embarrassing. Marcus Arroyo's tenure was embarrassing. When you go seven and 23 and five and 17 in conference play, unacceptable embarrassment. But it just seems like UNLV fans, and we've talked about this before, the apathy with this program is like, well, it's okay. No, it's, it's not okay. And this is a decision that I will applaud Eric Harper. And this is his first major decision because he's been with this program as an assistant AD, an associate AD, and even lesser roles in his long tenure at UNLV. But now he's finally the athletic director where he is in control to make these type of decisions now. And this is his first one. Good for Eric Harper for making this decision. Now, it wasn't just his decision. This came down from boosters. It came down from pressure. It came down from others within UNLV. And only time will tell if Eric Harper is going to be able to make a decision and lead a search committee and actually have the final decision on making a huge hire here for UNLV football going forward. But going back to Marcus Arroyo, all right, people want to compare Marcus Arroyo to Tony Sanchez, which really you shouldn't do, but that's just the human nature that when one coach takes over for another coach, that you're going to get those type of comparisons. Marcus Arroyo had better talent and did less. Marcus Arroyo was never a good fit for the UNLV football program. He's lacking in personality. He lacked in community effort. He was nowhere near Tony Sanchez in either one of those departments. But Tony Sanchez came in as a high school football coach. So the bar was set very, very low for Tony Sanchez, and he was given time to improve the program, which he did. But the good thing about Tony Sanchez was Tony Sanchez was a man of the community. He loved this community. He lived for this community, and he had players playing extremely hard for him. There was no question about that. Did he have the best talent? No, because it's impossible to get the best talent coming to UNLV. But Tony Sanchez worked his tail off. Not saying that Marcus Arroyo didn't, because I think Marcus Arroyo did. But Tony Sanchez laid a foundation that Marcus Arroyo could step into here and, and, and build upon, especially 
with raising all that money for the Fertitta Football Complex, you've got a great training complex, and moving your games to Allegiant Stadium, that's a great marketing ploy. It's great for fans. It's supposedly good for recruits because you're getting to play in a brand new $2 billion stadium, the home of the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay, that's fine and dandy. But what really happened was it was more the same. Crowds weren't showing up, and people that were showing up were people that were there to experience the stadium, which I totally get, totally understand. A lot of those people that went to UNLV football games cannot afford a ticket to go see the Raiders. Can't do it. I mean, you're lucky to get into a Raider game for under $200. But those prices are are $200, $300 and up. So go to UNLV game for $20, $30, $40, and you can experience the stadium. But the fan base hasn't grown. The product in the field definitely has not grown. So kudos to Eric Harper for making a decision, a very tough decision, to move on from Marcus Arroyo. Now, UNLV won their football game. Not many really people care about that because UNLV came into this football game with three victories. UNR had two. UNLV nearly lost that game. They got off to a horrendous start. They came back and defeated Reno 27 to 22. And, but that wasn't good enough for Mark to save Marcus Rowe's job. The writing has been on the wall for quite some time here. And when you go back and you look at 0 and 6, I know people can say, Oh, it's a pandemic year 2020. So what? Everybody had to deal with a pandemic. Everybody had to deal with, you know, not having their players, dealing with Zooms, all that kind of stuff. Okay. 0 and 6. But last year, what happened? Two and 10. A two and 10 record is absurd. And then you follow that up with a four and seven season with some embarrassing losses. Plenty of embarrassing losses going back to this year and last year. Like I said, expectations were much higher. 40 to seven, you lose to San Jose State. 42 to seven, you lose to Air Force. You go to Hawaii and beat a team that is just as dismal as, as UNLV and you lose 31 to 25 there. And you struggle in your finale against UNR this year that they're a life support. Two victories this year. So two and 10 last year. And remember last year, UNLV lost their first eight games of the season. They lost to UTSA. For those scoring at home, that's the University of Texas at San Antonio. You lost to Air Force 48 to three last year. You lost to your rival UNR 51 to 20 last year. None of those are acceptable. None of them whatsoever. So UNLV makes a change today, and it is a good day for UNLV football. It's a good day today for UNLV football. Will it be better coming up down the road? Will it be better in a couple weeks? Will it be better in a month or two? We don't know. It all depends on the next hire. So moving forward, here's what UNLV needs to do. They need to learn from their past mistakes. And that's what they've, they've had a lot of mistakes over the last 20 years. But it's simple. And we talked about it time and time again. At least I have. Don't hire an offensive coordinator. Don't hire an OC or a DC, a defensive coordinator, from another program, whether it's Power 5 or not. Marcus Arroyo had no business getting this job. Said it then, say it again now. None. No leadership skills. Had personality issues, had personality conflicts at Oregon. 
Rumor had it that he had personality conflicts. There, a lot of people don't know what he went through because Marcus Arroyo, unlike Tony Sanchez, was not a guy that was very invested in this community. He didn't know anybody when, when he was here, and he really didn't take it upon himself to get to know a lot of people. He was into his team, which I understand that. But when you're a college football coach, you better be into your community. You better be invested in your school. And there are no excuses about never being a head coach. All right? Marcus Arroyo was an offensive coordinator at Oregon, just like we see so many times in the NFL. They want to take the hot OC or the hot DC and make him a coordinator. Heck, the Raiders are doing it right now with Josh McDaniels. Failed miserably as a head coach before. But we'll get to the Raiders here in a minute. It's real simple for UNLV. No more experiments. All right? You hired a high school coach, but at that point in time, can be forgiven. UNLV basketball hired Kevin Kruger. No experience whatsoever. But when you are, th- are are that low where you are right now as a program, as basketball was and football continues to be, sometimes you know it's it, it, it's a good thing. Who knows what Tony Sanchez would have would have done here? But still, it was an experiment. Probably shouldn't have hired Tony Sanchez because he was an experiment. He was a high school coach. Marcus Arroyo was more of an experiment because he had never been a a head coach. And you're thinking just because he was an offense coordinator at a power five school at a high octane offense like Oregon, you think that he's going to be a head coach. And this is where the problems go in all sports, whether the professional level or the college level. Don't experiment. It's real simple. UNLV's next coach needs to be an experienced head coach coach. I've talked about it before. There are people out there that I know, personally know, people that have been are guests on this show. One's going to be a guest on this show in about 15 minutes who wanted this job. And UNLV wouldn't even return phone calls. You need a successful head coach. If they've been out of the game for a while, that's okay. Perfectly fine. You go back to when, if you, when last time UNLV really had any success? I know some people point to Bobby Houck. Okay, that's fine. Okay. How about John Robinson? John Robinson was probably the most successful coach that UNLV had. Why? Because he had head coaching experience. He had tons of head coaching experience. Don't let age you know, uh, bother you. And I'm not talking about John Robinson today. I'm talking about John Robinson 15 years ago. Coming out of USC, coming out of the Rams, all right? He knew what to do as a head coach. He was a leader of men, and that's exactly what you need. There are coaches out there. Maybe they've been away from the game for two, three, four years, but they're still actively involved. Those are the guys you want to go after, and those guys you can go after. Now, is it going to cost you a little bit more money? Absolutely will. But if you want a decent head coach, you're going to have to spend money. So UNLV needs to do that at this point in time, or else it's going to be same old, same old, like it's been for the past 20 years. No more experiments. So hopefully Eric Harper, and we're going to have Eric Harper on the show here in the next couple of days, and I really like Eric Harper, but will he have the power to make these moves on his own? Will he be able to get money? If UNLV was ever going to get a a big-time coach or a coach that has head coaching experience. And again, I'm not talking about, you're not going to pull somebody from 
a, a, a top 25 or even a top 50 program right now. You're not going to do that. But there are guys that are sitting on the sidelines that have experience in leading men in major conferences that really would like this job. And it's your job to listen to those. Do not discriminate for age or race or anything else. Take the guy that has experience that can build this program as dormant as it is right now and how, and, and how much it has been over the past two decades and let this person build a program. But it has to be a coach with experience, a coach that knows how to build winning programs. Spend the money. It's an investment. No more experiments. Plain and simple. People ask, well, who will want this job? Well, believe it or not, there are qualified people that actually want it. But don't settle. Don't settle for 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 lower people that are coordinators somewhere else. Just strike it off. Don't let it happen. We'll see what happens. But today's a good day for UNLV because they're making the commitment to move on from a guy that probably shouldn't have the job in the first place and coming off, again, three embarrassing seasons. You can't keep a coach that's 7-23. and 23. Not if you want to be a major factor in college football moving forward. All right. Raiders. Let's talk about that. All right. Raiders defeat the Seattle Seahawks yesterday, 40 to 34. Josh Jacobs, record breaking day for Jacobs yesterday, 229 yards rushing the football, 74 yards receiving with six catches. Total of 303 yards for Josh Jacobs and had two touchdowns to go with it. None bigger than the 86-yard touchdown, the game clincher in overtime. Uh, Nice performance by the Raiders yesterday. It was a record-breaking day for Josh Jacobs. Franchise record for Josh Jacobs and had the seventh most yards in an NFL game in history. You know, Jacobs never had a touchdown longer than 28 yards in his entire career. Yesterday, he got the 86-yarder and reminded many of Bo Jackson's. Remember Bo Jackson's run November 30th, just days apart, 35 years ago, 1987. Oh, by the way, who was that game against? Do we remember who that game was against? The Seattle Seahawks. Do you know where that game was at? In Seattle, at the Kingdom. Old stones throw away from where they played yesterday at Lumen Field there. Yeah. Josh Jacobs, very impressive performance for the Raiders yesterday. The Raiders' offense, totally on point yesterday. 283 yards on the ground, 576 total for the Raiders yesterday. The game was exciting. Seattle really had their way with the Raiders up until the fourth quarter. The Raiders staged a great comeback. They were down 34-27 to with two minutes to go. And the Raiders had life. Thanks to the unsung tight end, Foster Moreau, for the Raiders. Derek Carr hit Foster Moreau, and all of a sudden, we got a new ball game. Caught! Foster Moreau! Foster Moreau for the touchdown from Derek Carr. And all of a sudden, this game is tied up. The Raiders got renewed life. A lot of Raider fans were in that building there yesterday as well, too. But then Seattle had a chance to win it in regulation. Geno Smith hit DK An Metcalf. formation behind him. Geno Smith hit DK Metcalf with a pass at midfield, but it was ruled not a catch. 
Therefore, Seattle had to punt, and then we go to overtime. So what happens in overtime? The Raiders win the coin flip, just like they did last week in Denver. Win the coin flip is always a good, a good sign, right? But the Raiders really couldn't get anything going. They did drive the ball down the field in overtime, and Daniel Carlson had attempted a 56-yard field goal, but he missed. So he missed on the field goal. And then if you're a Raider fan, you're thinking, oh my goodness, here we go. We blew this opportunity here. Won the coin toss, got a field goal, couldn't maneuver down for a touchdown, not even giving Seattle the ball back. So not only do you give the Seattle the ball back, but you give the Seahawks the ball back at midfield, opening the door for the Seahawks to win this game. But what happened? Seattle goes three and out. Three and out at midfield, and they could not move the football. But credit Max Crosby, who came up big, who has been the lone bright spot for the Raiders defensively. Big sack by Matt Crosby. Seattle had to punt. Then the Raiders get to take over from their own 14-yard line. And then the game was over. An eye formation behind him, and he stands up to change the play. Down to five on the play clock. Gets the snap. Hands off to Jacob. Stutters to the right. Burst through the hole. 20. 25. 30. He's off to the races here in Seattle. Nobody's going to catch him. 25. 20. 10. Ball game. Bye bye, Josh. 86 yards in overtime to walk it off for a second straight week. Touchdown, Raiders. Victory, Las Vegas. I have nothing to say. Oh, it's just an ISO lead. It's a beautiful run. You called it right up the middle. Oh, my goodness. Let's go home. (laughs) Boom. There's my man, Lincoln Kennedy, a frequent guest of the show. Uh, Link, uh, very happy about that, along with Jason Horowitz on the Raiders radio network. And the Raiders win the game 40-34. to All right, what does this mean for the Raiders? Well, it means that they've got a victory. They've won two in a row, both in overtime fashion. But, you know, granted, you know, beating teams you're supposed to beat. Seattle, yes, has a decent record, but you look at the Seattle Seahawks team, it's led by Geno Smith. Geno Smith's starting to come back down to earth a little bit. You know, the week before you beat the Broncos. Okay, so you got four victories this year, two against the lowly Broncos, one against the lowly Houston Texans, and you beat the Seattle Seahawks. Tough place to play yesterday, and the Raiders get the job done. All right. So not going to bag on the Raiders. Nice victory yesterday. Anytime you can win is good in the NFL, and now you've won two in a row. Here's head coach Josh McDaniels talking about getting the big win yesterday. Obviously learning how to be resilient and, uh, you know, give Seattle a lot of credit. Uh, they, this is a good football team. They're well coached like we thought they would, would be. Um, Pete does a great job, and they gave us some fits on some things, and made some adjustments and we had to make some adjustments and uh, it was a very interesting game in that regard um, <clears throat> but um, I thought our guys were tough uh, we, we kind of had some highs and lows um, you know and lost the lead there and then came back and then lost it again and came back and you know and I know we we missed some opportunities to maybe get the get the lead stretched a little bit um, but we wanted to be aggressive today and, and try to and give our guys an opportunity to do that and I thought they came out with the right mentality. Um, and, you know, and lo and behold, we just keep playing and string together two in a row. So um feels good to win. And like I said, uh, credit, credit our guys. They kept fighting. <clears throat> All right, there's Josh McDaniel talking about uh, getting the win yesterday. And good for Josh McDaniels. It's two in a row. That is a good thing for the Raiders. And they, uh, they, they get the win yesterday, 40 to 34. Maybe a little bit more exciting than they wanted to. But again, you got to credit the Raiders, credit Derek Carr, 
credit to especially Josh Jacobs. This game had a crazy swing of emotion. Here's McDaniels talking about the emotion in this game. It started from the first play to the last play. You know, first play is an interception and the last play is a touchdown. And, um, you know, it was really, uh, uh, there was a lot of swings in the game, and uh, I credit our coaches. Our coaches did a really good job of staying neutral at times when they needed to be, um, you know, and and trying to fix the problems if there were any, um, you know, and address those uh, without having a bunch of emotion in it. Um, no, I got emotional a little bit, you know, and but that's football uh, when you're going up and down, and uh, you wanna you wanna win. So uh, I thought our guys, our captains, did a great job of staying even keeled today too, uh, throughout the whole. Game. All right, there's Josh McDaniels talking about the swings of emotion in that game back and forth. And again, it was a game where you felt that the the Raiders, they may come back, but they may not come back. I mean, Seattle really had you know most of the action here. But again, the, the Max Crosby sack was huge. And then, of course, Josh Jacobs did most of the damage for the Raiders the entire game. And of course, the game winner there at the end. Here's Josh McDaniels talking about Josh Jacobs' phenomenal day. He's, uh, he's, I guess, I've, I don't know, I'm running out of superlatives. Um, you know, he, you know, over 300 total yards in the game and, you know, he wasn't, you know, didn't feel perfect, you know, but, um, you know, he just, I think toughness, um, he's a football player. I mean, that's probably the greatest compliment I could give him. And, um, you know, he comes up big with, you know, big, he had a couple of big first downs on third and short that like, I'm not sure everybody in the league gets those, you know, but he did. And, you know, of course, you know, makes the big play at the end, but I thought he was tremendous throughout, uh, gave us a lot of hard yards in a running game, caught the ball well out of the backfield, make some big plays with his hands. And, um, but that's JJ. That's what he is. All right, that is Josh Jacobs, and that's exactly what he is. Phenomenal yesterday. I mean, just terrific game all the way around for Josh Jacobs, whether it was running the football, receiving the football, and just to be able to to have a, a back like that who just continues to be a positive force for the Raiders. Finally, Josh McDaniels talks about winning two games in a row in dramatic fashion and feeling that the Raiders are going in the right direction. I, I, I've never doubted that it was. Um, you know, and, and like I said, uh, you know, the NFL, you, there's a lot of close games every week. And, um, sometimes it takes a little, a while to, to learn how to get over the hump on some of those things. And, um, you know, and, and that's what we attributed to, you know, and doesn't guarantee us anything going forward. Um, we're going to stick with our process. We think we have a really close knit group here that works hard. Um, we believe in what we're doing. We believe in what we're coaching. We believe in trying to win the way we're trying to win. And, uh, I think our guys do too. And, uh, and I think that, you know, you don't always get the results you look, you want right away. And, uh, I think that tests your patience and your perseverance a little bit, but I think we've got a very resilient group. All right. The Raiders know they're not going to the playoffs. I mean, technically, mathematically, they're still alive. And all you can do is, is beat the teams that are put in front of you. So luckily for the Raiders, they get the victory last week against Denver. They get the victory, uh, yesterday against the Seattle Seahawks. And then next up, you've got the Chargers. Here's Derek Carr talking about the second straight win on the final play of the game two weeks in a row. Yeah, it's good. Um, again, it reaffirms um, the things that we've been talking about. It reaffirms the things Josh has been talking to us about. And uh, the exciting part is, like, after the game, of course, we're excited, of course. But it's like everyone's sitting there talking about, like, man, I could have done this or I could have done that. And that, that's what's going to push push us to be better as an organization, you know, for the long term and push us to be better um, as a team in the short term. You know, and it's pro football. You know, you want it to be perfect all the time. And, uh I mean, the nine years I've been in the league, any 
no matter who's on the roster, when you come to Seattle, it's, it's a tough game, you know, and, um, you know, we, you know, came here, we knew it was going to be tough and they made plays, you know, um, and then we made some plays at the end to bounce back and answer back. And I mean, it's a great football game. It, it was tough. It was hard. Uh, uh, it was a little cold too. And, uh, it was good, uh, to see our guys be able to answer back even when it didn't go our way. And no, no one was hanging their head or it was over or anything like that. I think the confidence from last week too, um, to know that, hey, we're never out of it. And so I think that was a, a good thing. All right, there's Derek Carr talking about the second straight win on the final play of the game. And Carr struggled in this game to start off with. I mean, his first pass was intercepted yesterday. His last one, uh, you know, good for a touchdown to, to Foster Moreau. Here's more of Derek Carr talking about Foster Moreau and the game-tying touchdown. That's a ball I tried to... Now, that's going to be a tough catch for him to make, but it's something that I trust him with. And, you know, him and Darren and all the tight ends running up the seam, just trying to throw it where the linebacker can't see it. And they made a good play. Um, and so I told him, we're not losing confidence in that. You know, it's, it's on me too. I made it. I was trying to make it hard for you. I could have checked it down. I was trying to be aggressive and make a throw, you know. And, uh, and so when they doubled, they, you know, they were playing quarters to Tay side and they ended up trying to double Tay and they let Foster get behind them. And, um, you know, I just tried to give him a ball to where he could, uh, just make a play on the ball, however it looked and get his feet down. And, he, you know, he came up huge for us, um, you know, in that moment. All right. Derek Carr talking about uh, Foster Moreau. And again, without Darren Waller there as your tight end, you have to rely on Foster Moreau. And Foster Moreau has shown that he can play in this league and he's become kind of a favorite target of Carr as well too but the star of the day obviously as we know is Josh Jacobs here's Carr talking about his running backs dramatic and terrific performance yesterday I can talk about him and I've talked about you with you guys over the last uh the year and a half or so is uh, that mentality you know that mentality that he brings and that 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 uh, mindset the way he runs and the way he you know over and over and over again is finishing not just downhill but through people you know and you know he's always finishing forward you know second and eight in this league is way different than second and five second and four um and and him bringing that mindset and that, you know, how hard he's worked, uh, all those things. I mean, I said at the beginning of the year, you know, when we had Devontae, added Devontae, I said the happiest person in the building besides me is going to be Josh Jacobs, you know, and uh, and we're seeing the fruits of that. All right, Derek Carr talking about Josh Jacobs' performance, and that is so true. You know, you have a guy like Devontae Adams. If you have those other weapons like uh, Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, it just it opens things up for Josh Jacobs. And Josh Jacobs, hey, this guy's playing without a contract for next year. He's going to make a Mark Davis's and Dave Ziegler's decision very, very tough because Josh Jacobs looks like the guy that we saw at Alabama going back four years ago. Looks fantastic. Finally, Derek Carr talking about the feeling of winning two in a row and believing not only in the system, but the process. And we're trying to do everything right. Um, again, it's new schemes. It's, it's a new philosophy to play the game. And I think it shows that we believe in him and we're trying to do everything right. Um, again, it's new schemes. It's, it's a new philosophy to play the game and there's different rules for certain things. I mean, I messed something up today where I was like, like he got mad and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I was like, I was right, you know? And, uh, and then I had to think, I was like, oh, that's a couple of systems ago, you know? So I'm still, still processing through some of that, um, you know, in certain things, but, you know, it just, it's just growth and we're all just trying to do things the right way and uh, do them his way. And um, it shows that everyone's believing in that and trying to do them that way.
and so um, for me, I'm trying to execute it, the reads and everything exactly how he wants it. So is the whole team. And you can tell everyone's believing and buying into that um, because of the success that we're starting to have. It doesn't mean anything now. You know, we still don't have a good record, um, but we're heading in the right direction. All right. There are the Raiders, uh, hopefully heading in the right direction. They've won two in a row, both overtime victories. And, uh, you know, when you win games like that, it does, uh, build confidence. All right. Derek Carr, 25 for 36 yesterday, 295 yards, three touchdown passes. He did have the two interceptions. They were costly, but hey, bottom line is the Raiders got the W and they overcame that. And back to Josh Jacobs, record breaking performance yesterday, setting the Raiders single season record. Topping Napoleon Kaufman's. Remember him? Napoleon Kaufman. You got to go back. 1997, 227 rushing yards he had. Set that record 25 years ago against the Broncos back at the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. But Jacob's performance also came three days short of that 35th anniversary of Bo Jackson's Monday Night Football run that we talked about, where Bo Jackson had 221 yards and three touchdowns, including that iconic 91-yard touchdown that he ran into the tunnel there in the kingdom. Yeah, that was November 30th, 1987. So good day for Jacobs. Great day for the Raiders. They get the victory. Next up, Chargers at home here Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. They'll kick it off at 125. So we'll be talking a lot about that game coming up during the course of the week. All right. When we come back, we'll talk a little college football. What a great college football weekend it was. We had some more upsets. We had some craziness. And now things are starting to fall into place as far as the college football playoff. We're going to talk to our good friend Houston Nutt, the former coach at Old Miss, the former uh, coach at Arkansas, and the current CBS and uh, analyst who does a fantastic job on CBS, of course, our great friend down south there in Texas. He's going to join us. Coming up next, it is a magnificent Monday here on the T.C. Martin Show. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. All right, don't forget we are at the Westgate each and every Friday. So come on by, see the show live 2 to 4 p.m. at the world-famous Superbook. Our best bet segment, a whole lot more. Rolling with the best bet segment last Friday as well, too. Hitting some college football in the NFL. And speaking of college football, we got to bring in my man who's just hanging out there in McKinney, Texas, traveling back and forth to the CBS studios there New York City. But it is crunch time right now in college football. And my man Houston Nutt is all over like a hobo and a hot dog or like a guy in a brisket sandwich, as I like to say. What's up, coach? It's going to be you, TC. How you doing? I'm doing good, brother. How you doing, man? All good, all good. I appreciate you uh, joining us here today. And, uh, you know, a lot of college football that we uh, we got to talk about here, uh, Houston. But, you know, here in Las Vegas – uh, it, it, it's a day where UNLV football is going through another transition. You and I have talked about this before where, uh, you know, it's been a program that is, you know, let's be honest, let's just tell it like it is. I mean, it's been one of the, uh, the lowest, um, you know, successful, the least successful programs going back the last 20 years. And uh, we probably got to go back to John Robinson, uh, to be in the most successful coach. It, it, it's been a long, long time. And I know that, uh, you know, this program is kind of close to your heart as well, too. Man, you started out at Boise State competing against UNLV and of course going to the, you know, the SEC and, you know, with Ole Miss and Arkansas and everything. Uh, give me some thoughts when you hear that UNLV relieves Marcus Arroyo of his duties after three years. Yeah. You know, I always uh, have a lot of respect for, for Las Vegas and, and always felt like 
what John Robinson did was was outstanding. You always felt like this place uh, could make it happen. You know, you'll you'll have uh, such a tradition with basketball, and everybody gets that. But it just seems like it could be a, a good spot to to get this uh, program going, and I'll be able to play some football there. But uh, it's not easy, and I understand that it's not easy. But uh, I just think it can happen. So, Houston, here is my take on this matter. I'm curious to just get your opinion on this. You know, UNLV has gone with experimentations in the last co- coaching hire. As much as I like Tony Sanchez, I mean, he was a high school football coach. And at that point in time, I think the the university just felt like, okay, you know, we there's we can't get any lower and here's a guy who is just invested in this community and he's coached some of the top high school players in the country let's roll with him give him a shot and he did pretty well he 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 did and then you have a new athletic director and they want to you know basically go for the you know what a lot of nfl teams do you know go let's go for the hot offensive coordinator the hot defensive coordinator and that's why they selected marcus arroyo because he was an offensive core coordinator high octane oregon you know but you know marcus arroyo nope no head coaching experience. I really believe that you know now is a time for UNLV if they're going to get this right is go with someone who has head coaching experience, someone that could be a leader of men. And I don't care if it's somebody who maybe been sitting on the sidelines for a while, but there are a lot of qualified candidates that I believe that people would would love to have the opportunity at this job, uh, maybe especially someone maybe who who hasn't been on the sidelines for a while, but has a track record of building winning programs. And for me, right. you know, if you get somebody who, you know, has that experience as a head coach, it is much better than just trying to snap an offensive or defensive coordinator, you know, from some Power 5 conference. I'm curious, what are your thoughts about this? If you put on an AD hat, what kind of guy would you hire? Well, you know, it's funny uh, that, that you just said those things because I, I, I've talked to a lot of you know, when you're in the airports and you you, you hear, uh, I've talked to different coaches on every level, high school, college, pro, and uh, what you said, you know, makes a lot of sense. But here's here's the problem: you got search firms now that get involved. You have athletic directors that don't take that that will say, "I'm not going to make the sole decision. I'm going to go get a, a search firm team." Search firm teams are not going to go get just what you said. They're not. They're going to go get the hottest offensive coordinator. Hottest uh, defensive coordinator, and it, to me, they don't have enough laps around the track. And I'm not saying they're bad coaches; they're not. They're good coaches, but it's it's when you haven't been there and you haven't had that um, responsibility of doing everything uh, as far as running an entire program from top to bottom. You're you're just uh, you're you're missing some things. So. I, you know, again, I, I'm. That's why I'm. I'm for that other side. That just what you described. I, I just think there's some, there's some coaches out there that have been head coaches before, has some experience because it's going to take it's going to take work. It's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot of uh, great staff. Get a staff in there that can recruit. And now with recruiting, it's transfer portal deluxe. It's free agency. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's NIL. It's it's not just junior college and high school anymore. It's a whole different world right now. And so, to me, the the person that has some that has touches and feels with different, uh, you know, relationships is 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 so valuable right now. And so, I think it'd be important to have a guy there with some experience that's done it before that knows how to build. 
and uh, build those relationships. But it, you know, again, you know, it starts with recruiting, and um, it, it's not easy. But I'm, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir on what you just got to say. I promise you, brother. <laughs> well, you know, I just described you. I mean, you you check those boxes. You check those boxes. There it is. Your your agent is working for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're the best. You're the best. But hey. You know, it, it was a couple of times I I called out there, but there was no interest. So, you know, it's just uh, it's just a different world, and uh, and I get it. I understand. You know, I understand. Everybody's uh, want that that young next guy that's uh, been real hot. But um, they, if you do go that route, you gotta you gotta have some experience on that staff that uh, that can really that somebody you can really lean on if you're going to go back that route you've got to lean on it so let me Houston, uh, let me uh, let I me ask you this I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you at all uh, but it just it just it just it just begs the question here now where do you think that this job is for either people like yourself or say other other veteran head coaches. And I'm not talking about current head coaches. I'm talking about, you know, you know, head coaches maybe at a lower level, but that have been doing it for a long time, or guys that yeah. maybe have uh done it at a high level that maybe have been out of the game for a few seasons or whatever. Where is this job on their radar? Would a guy like you and other people like that, be interested in taking over a program that, let's be honest, is one of the least successful programs for a very, very long time. Or do people say, I, I want, I don't want to touch that. You know, I want to stay away from it. How would you view, view this job? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, the, and this, well, that's a great question. I, I'd love to hear what John Robinson said about that. Because mm -hmm. if you look at coaches that's been let go or been out of it for a while, uh, you know, and that's what I thought four, five, six years ago when the job was open. I said, man, I'd like to go there because I, I got to know uh, John Robinson and some of the things he did there. I knew some of his assistants that worked for him. And so, you know, he had a good feeling. And, and uh, with my brothers recruiting uh, basketball, they'd come out there ever so often in the summertime. I'd go out there with them. And so, you know, I, I think for uh, for coaches that have, have been, that have experience that's been let go or, as as you said, a lower division head coach that's had success, I think they'd look at that and say, "Hey, I'll take that challenge." Mm -hmm. Now they're not going to say, "Oh, that's my, that's the, that's the number one job I want." They probably won't say that, but you know, it's about coaching. You know, you got to love it. You got to love it. You got to love developing relationships with eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-olds and and taking them where they can't go by themselves and putting that team together. You know, that that's the joy of it, and that's that's always what you miss. But it, to me, it takes somebody like that. You got it. Houston Nutt joins us, CBS Sports. Of course, the former coach at Ole Miss, Arkansas, Boise State back in the day. All right, my friend, let's talk about what our eyes saw over the weekend. We saw Michigan destroy Ohio State in Columbus. We talked about it last week. Could this happen? You know what they did, Houston? Michigan just went in there, and they outscored Ohio State 21-3 to in the fourth quarter. And if we go to the second half... I don't know what happened in those locker rooms, but Jim Harbaugh had them going. They outscored the Buckeyes 35-3 to in the second half in Columbus in the horseshoe. That is a beatdown, my friend. Explain what happened. Before I do, I just gotta. I just want to know, did you see this coming? Did I, the great TC see this coming? I got to 
I will tell you what I saw coming. I figured that Michigan would show up. I, I didn't think it was going to yeah. be the Michigan teams for, that we saw two, three years ago. But, you know, last year, what Michigan did to Ohio State, now granted, that was in Ann Arbor, but I just felt that they had a little mojo. They were undefeated. They knocked off Ohio State last year. So it didn't surprise me that that yeah. this game, you know, that Michigan won the game. Didn't surprise me, but in the fashion that they did it, it shocked me because right. I thought Ohio State would have revenge on their mind, and I actually gave Ohio State the the nod. I said Ohio State's going to win a close game, but no, I didn't see thirty five right. to three coming in the second half, brother. It, it was unbelievable. And then also, let's take away Blake Corum. That was one thought. Mm-hmm. I said, mm, right, you, know, you don't have your best back, you know, so that's going to be well, that's going to hurt. But all of a sudden, Edwards, that next guy up. Uh, but no, they, they were they physically w- won the trenches. And here's the thing, you know this. In this game, this is for sure a line of scrimmage game. You want to talk about line of scrimmage? Uh, this is a line of scrimmage game, and Michigan, boy, outright won that. And just physically, I just got to you got to give it to them. Mm-hmm. The job they did, especially in the second half, it, it was so surprising. I'm, I kept watching, like, Ooh, and I, I know Ohio State's getting ready to turn it here. I know they're getting ready to score. I've seen mm-hmm. CJ Stroud do this too many times, but no, the defense, everybody, uh, they were buttoned up. Tackling was sound, and then offensively, just downhill. And then also, let's give it to J.J. McCarthy now. He hit some explosive plays down the field. They had eight, nine in the box, man. They're saying, uh, J.J. McCarthy beat me. Well, guess what? He did. He did. <laughs> he, he, found, he found some guys down the field, man. He hit some beautiful post routes, some fades, some back shoulders. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just an awesome job uh, by the quarterback, and that – Clearly was Coach Day in the Ohio State's game plan was, hey, I tell you what, we're fixing to pack this box. We know you want to run it. We're going to stop you. We're going to put about seven, eight, nine in the box. We're going to stop you consistently. Hey, receivers, you better beat us. And they did. And I, I just think it, you just hats off to Michigan. Outstanding job. And the way you, you said it right, TC, the way they beat Ohio State, really, that, that surprised mm-hmm. me. And because they beat him like that, Houston, I do not want to yeah. hear about Ohio State and the playoff in the same sentence. I don't want to hear about no. that. And, and for people to say, okay, well, it's just one game. No, 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 no. Now, that's your big game. That's your most meaningful game. That was your toughest opponent, and you failed miserably on your home field. So that cannot no. be dismissed, okay? They came in here number two, all right? So number two, they went bye-bye. I do, I do not want to hear Ohio State even being considered. Am I right for that? Tell me how you feel. Okay. Hundred percent. I'm with yeah. you. Hundred uh, percent. And I know some people won't feel that way, but I do. I'm with you. The way you got beat is the way. It'd be one thing now if it was a shootout, back and forth, close. Okay, I get it. Tough, tough, tough loss. But no, no, it was it was uh, four quarters of 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 Michigan's what it was. Michigan won that game in your backyard. And I'm sorry, Ohio State, get on down. You're you're out. You're out. Exactly. Now, LSU as well, too, now. And uh, LSU had a couple losses, you know, coming into this, but they had some good wins. They were number five on the outside looking in. They go down to Texas A&M and they get beat down, too. A&M, they led from the, from the get go there. 38-23, the final. So here's my question, because I'm banging on this drum here. And I think I'm the only guy banging on this drum here. Did this open the door for Alabama? <laughs> Did it open the door for Alabama? Now, Alabama rolled over Auburn 49-27, to but think about this, Houston. Could Alabama get in here? Because let's, let's take the eye test, okay? 
Let's take the eye test. Who are the four best teams right now? Tell me Alabama's one of those four. I tell you what, yeah, you can say that. You can argue that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, look, let's go back. I want to go back one thing. Okay. The two, there's, I got two sick SEC teams. Tennessee was setting absolutely perfect just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, setting perfectly mm-hmm. and they get beat. And then LSU, they moved up and then they get beat. And so you gotta, you gotta figure that Alabama is right there in the conversation in these meetings starting Tuesday night. There's no doubt about it. They're right there. Bryce Young, I don't know. They can say what they want. The guy is phenomenal. He doesn't have the weapons that he's had in the past and he still finds a way, man. I mean, he finds a way. He doesn't have Devontae Smith. He doesn't have a Waddle. He doesn't have a Jerry Judy, a Jameson Williams. He doesn't have that. But he finds a way. He has ice water in his veins. Unbelievable. I agree. So man. I'm just so curious. I'm going to wait and see on these championship games what happens. But here's what's tough now. Here's the question to you. If TCU, if they lose to Kansas State in the championship game, are they still in? I don't I don't I don't want him. I don't want him. Again, it's not like they, they – I don't want him. If you're going to lose to, to K-State in a Big 12 that doesn't have great history in the playoff, as we know, again, the eye test. If TCU lines up against Alabama, who wins that game? Who's going to be favored in that game? Yeah, I think so. Now it depends how they lose, but again, it, you know, again, they've been life and death in a lot of these uh, victories they've had here. But I'm just saying, you know, they're they're not a shoe in if they lose. We know Georgia's in, Michigan's in. I think you know, no matter what those two teams do, TCU if they win, of course they're going to be in. But then there's going to open the door for USC, Alabama, and and outside of that, it's nobody else. I think it's going to be interesting, yeah. but for me, again, if we're doing the eye test, okay, I'm gonna uh, we'll, we'll leave on this note. Give me your eye test right now. Who are the top four as we sit here today, in your mind? Well, I like what's there right now. I, I like Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. I like what's there. Okay. I mean, uh, you yep. can say anything about eye test you want, but I'm gonna tell you, I, I give it to TCU right now. TC, I really do. Okay, yeah. This group, I mean, they're twelve and oh. I don't care what you look at. What they did, they go to Texas and win. I didn't think they'd get by that game. I really, I didn't think they could go to Austin. They had two road games that I thought mm, they're going to stumble. Right, one of those two. No, they didn't. This Max Duggan is playing. I mean, they are playing, and this defense is playing hard for Sonny Dyke. So, I, I, I'm I'm on the Horn Frog wagon right now, and and I'm anxious to see because Kansas State now. Watch this game. This is a good team that had – they had the Horn Frogs. They had them. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going to play them again. It's hard to beat somebody twice. I'm I'm anxious to see that game, Deuce Vaughn and the guys. Uh, that is, that's going to be a dandy. But there's going to be argument now to keep TCU in there with one loss, I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's why we need that. We need that little extra playoff. We need a little tournament. A little, a little you tournament. got that right. They, that's it. We need that. We need some more barbecue. That's all we need. That's it. We need expansion. Four's not enough. Just like just the brisket's not enough. You got to give me the ribs. You got to give me the pulled pork. You got to give me the ham hocks. You got to give it all to me, brother. That's what I want. <laughs> don't forget about the Texas Twinkies. Oh, the Texas Twinkies. That's right. 
Woo! Hutchins Barbecue. There's a shout out for you again. The Texas Twinkies. I swear that your your face should be on a billboard with the Texas Twinkies. That's what I think. Hutchins doesn't realize what I do for them. I know, right? Exactly. Here's a guy in Vegas. I never even had him before. But just hearing from you and seeing the pictures, I'm down. There it is. All right. Hey, but you do, you do know about Freddie, and I tell you what, Freddie, get ready when I come to town next time because we're going to go look up Freddie Hamburger. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm treating you to Freddie's. I'm taking you back to Blue Ribbon. We're going to have that delicious fried chicken. We're going to get you some oysters, some seafood. We're going to get whatever you have over there. We'll even get we'll give you the upgrade from the crawfish that you used to eating. Well, that's it. We're giving you the upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> love it love it brother appreciate right. you man there it is i appreciate you take care have a great weekend okay tc see you buddy there is also man houston nut firing away here doing her thing here with cbs sports you can catch him on cbs sports network and cbs all right hey you heard it you heard houston nut tell him like it he'd take that unlv job i'm calling eric harper i'm representing you wouldn't want a guy that coached in the SEC? Are you kidding me? A guy who's got close to 20 years head coaching experience? Come on, man. Let's do it. All right, college football. Oh, my goodness. we got plenty to talk about coming up next hour as well, too. Matt Holt's going to join us as well as Chuck Esposito. We'll talk some Monday night football and more college football all week long. Now is the interesting time, isn't it? Oh, yeah, we look forward to that. All right, we're coming back on the other side. More football, more Raiders. Monday Night Football, winners, losers at the book, right here on this magnificent Monday TC Martin show. Sun is shining. Live. Entertainment capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but! Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Largo, Pifio. Messi la tiene, Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol! 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 Cerebro! Cerebro! Cerebro Iniesta! The doctor is now in. Number two, glad to have you with us here on this Monday. A lot to hit on today. Raiders victory, overtime, second week in a row. They get the job done. Talking about that this hour. And also the rest of the NFL will dive into what our eyes saw on Sunday as well as Saturday. And then tonight we got Monday Night Football, pretty good one. We got the Steelers and the Colts. We'll dive into that. Chuck Esposito is going to join us over at Red Rock. Matt Holt from U.S. Integrity. He's jumping on right about now, and we got more to talk about as well, too, as UNLV relieves Marcus Arroyo of his head coaching duties. Marcus Arroyo ends his stint as head coach of UNLV after three seasons, 7-23. and 
including 5-17 and 17 in Mountain West Conference play. This year, major disappointment for UNLV. Start off the season 4-1, and one, lost six in a row. Even though they defeated UNR on Saturday, UNR was 2-9 and nine coming into this game. UNLV finishes the season 5-7, and seven, not good enough. Expectations were higher this year. Mount West Conference, not very good. Better facilities, bigger budget to work with, playing at Allegiant Stadium. But no, not good enough for Marcus Arroyo to keep his job. And I'll repeat what I said in hour number one. I think it's a, it's a good day for UNLV football today because it is a statement that is saying we're not going to settle. For a 2-10 season. Think about it. Marcus Arroyo, 0-6. I know, COVID, 2020. Everybody had to deal with that, though. 0-6. Couldn't win a football game. 2-10 last season. 4-7 this year. Not good enough. Plain and simple. We talked last hour about what UNLV needs to do to move this program and push it forward. And that's getting an experienced head coach. Not the hot coordinator. No more experiments. Not high school coaches. Not coordinators. Spend money. There are coaches out there like we just talked to one of them right in the last hour in Houston Nut. There are guys out there that have great experience, that are great leaders of men that would like this job. Open it up. Get away from the search firms and expand your horizons and get a good leader here. So good day for UNLV. Will it be a good day when they actually make the announcement when they hire, whether it's a week or two or three down the road? We'll see, but hopefully we don't go the same routine that we've seen over and over again. Matt Holt joins us, U.S. Integrity. My man, what's going on, brother? TC, how we doing? We're good. All right. Speaking of UNLV, there are 19 undefeated teams out of 363 in Division I men's college basketball. Three of them, TC, (laughs) in the Mountain West including our UNLV running Rebels. That is a good sign. And again, you know, uh, kudos to Kevin Kruger. He's got him 7-0 and right now. We love that. And uh, a great start for UNLV running Rebel uh, basketball. But, Matt, you heard, heard me talk about the uh, football situation here. You and I have talked a lot about this over the years. Uh, give me your take on the decision to relieve Marcus Arroyo of his duties and where should UNLV go from here. I'm a little torn on this. I get that he got off to a really bad start to his career, but he did improve every year, going from zero wins to two wins to five and seven. Um, And who knows, this team may end up playing in a bowl game because of how much they improve grades if there's not enough six-win teams to fill bowls. So at the end of the day, I think I'm a little bit torn because I think at the end of the day, everyone thought we were going to go to a bowl game this year because of the hot four and two start. And then when you go one and five down the stretch, all of a sudden and limp down the end. But if they had beaten Hawaii the week before as a substantial double digit favorite and then barely held on and won the cannon and gone six and six and been bowl eligible, I don't think we're talking about Marcus Arroyo getting fired. So for that reason alone, I'm not sure about this decision today. I do think he was improving. Do I think Marcus Arroyo is the future? I'm not sure. I was never sold on the hire. But I did think that maybe he had bought himself one more year with three more wins than last year. I mean, you know, I'm with you, Matt. Again, I don't think that uh, 
you know, he was the right guy for the hire. And again, and, and no head coaching experience. And there were some things that were behind the scenes as far as maybe some personality conflicts and issues. But the bottom line is you can't get beat 40 to seven to San Jose State. You can't get drilled 42 to seven to Air Force on your home field. And like you said, Hawaii downright embarrassing 31 to 25. You can't do that. You want to go back last year? You can't lose to Texas San Antonio. You can't lose to Air Force 48 to three. You can't lose to your arch rival. UNR, which really wasn't that good last year, too, 51 to 20. And like you said, this year, a two and nine team coming into this game and you barely hang on for victory 27 22. No, I just, you know, don't think, you know, two and 10 to, to, you know, what, uh, you know, five and, and, and seven, you know, to me, that's, that's not improvement when you limp down the stretch the way you did and you were four and one at one point in time. And I don't think UNLV should stand for this. Oh, we improved three games. That's not good enough. I mean, it's not good enough. I mean, enough is enough, in my opinion, is that, you know, it's stand for something better than mediocrity. And they're not even mediocre. They're less than mediocre. So for a guy who improves from two to five wins, it's one thing if you're, you know, competing against Notre Dame and competing against Cal. But look at Cal. Cal was miserable this year. Miserable this year. I mean, UNLV, if they had any type of team, they could. You got to expect to win these type of games. And especially against the San Jose States and the Hawaii's of the world. I absolutely agree with the Hawaii thing. And again, I think if the four and one had come down the stretch, if they had started terrible, we also probably wouldn't be talking about, you know, looking for another head coach. But the thing I worry about when you get into these coaching carousels is, you know, we need some stability in this program. So it is really, really important that when you let Marcus Arroyo go today, that hopefully the administration actually has a plan, can execute on that plan, and bring someone in here that can at least be here for the next five to seven years and lead the UNLV rebuild. Yeah. Matt Holt joins us, uh, U.S. Integrity. Of course, Matt works with all these uh, college conferences uh, as well, too. Uh, speaking of college football, uh, Matt, uh, give me uh, give me some takes here on what you saw over the weekend. We were talking earlier about Ohio State just getting drill-pressed to uh, Michigan, and uh, I do not want to hear about Ohio State uh, in, in the playoffs I think that, you know, this, that this loss along with the loss by LSU actually opens the door for not only USC, but I think Alabama as well, too, because I believe that Alabama still is, is, should be considered one of the top four teams in the country. They're playing some good football. You've got Bryce Young. And, uh, again, you know, for people not even really talking about Alabama, let's see what happens this week in some of these conference championship games, uh, especially with TCU and K State. Yeah, you know, I don't remember a time when the championship, the conference championship week felt as irrelevant as it does this week, TC. I mean, Michigan, Purdue, a 16-point favorite. Georgia, LSU, 17-point favorite. These games almost feel meaningless. I get that if USC is able to have a really good performance, they could slide into the number four slot and and make the CFP as they should as a conference champion ahead of the Ohio, a one loss Ohio State who won't be a conference champion. It's just been pandemonium this year. And, and I think there's never been a better case for we need 12 teams outside of Georgia. I mean, even Michigan, who was life and death to beat Indiana and life and death to beat Illinois had to kick a field goal as time expired at home just to beat the fighting Illini as a 17-point favorite. 
I think you could make a really strong case that outside of Georgia, all of these teams feel awful close to each other. Michigan, Ohio State, Tennessee, LSU, USC. And at least with a 12-team playoff, you would let them all decide it on the field rather than us picking who we think's most deserving because obviously some fan base is going to be upset in this whole situation. And to me, none of them feel better than the others. This is Georgia and everybody else now for me. You know, I'm with you, and I'm glad you said that about just feeling irrelevant because when I was looking at the schedule for this coming weekend, I thought the exact same thing. And not only do we have some, you know, the ridiculous point spreads for championship games, Georgia 17 and a half over LSU, Michigan 16 over Purdue. It's just, again, there's just not a whole bunch of luster here. I mean, TCU and K State, who would have anticipated we have that for a Big 12 championship game? Now, deservedly so. As it turned out, these are the two best teams in the Big 12. But, you know, Utah, USC, I think, Matt, I'd actually like to see Utah, USC better than I wanted to see Oregon and USC because, you know, of, of the two things that we saw of Oregon towards the tail end of last year, I didn't want to see them. And then the way they fell apart against Oregon State. So I'm actually okay with that. But for the most part, I mean, look at the ACC championship. We would normally be talking about Clemson and, okay, th- them vying for a spot in the playoff. But no, I mean, they got beat again on their home field uh, on Saturday and they're playing North Carolina. We don't care about that game, but you're right. It just feels irrelevant. I mean, both teams in the ACC championship are coming in awful lot. <laughs> right. Absolutely insane. You know, the one thing that's a little bit of a shame to me is it's a shame that Washington got upset in the middle of the season at a road game at Arizona State because I think Michael Penix in the championship game here versus USC would have been really fun. They probably would have put up 120 points combined. We just saw Michael Penix throw for 485 yards this past week. That would have been fun. But, of course, the Utah, you know, we'll see what happens there. It's a close spread. There are playoff ramifications. But really for championship week, and and you think of years past, even in like the American Conference last year where Cincinnati had to win that last championship game in order to sneak into the playoff as a group of five team. There's no group of five. Nobody cares about any of the group of five championship games. I mean, not even in the slightest. And the power five games, other than USC and and TCU, who both need to win in order to keep their CFP hopes alive, there's just no urgency to these games. I mean, you LSU got waxed last week, and now they're in the championship game. And it's like, yeah, okay, and... And Purdue versus Michigan, even if Georgia loses, they're in, and LSU's not. Even if Michigan loses as a 16-point favorite, they're probably in, Purdue's not. These games just don't have this emergency feel to them that you would expect from a championship week. I totally agree with you. And now let's go back to Georgia. And you make a good point that, hey, it's Georgia and everybody else. But if you really examine Georgia's resume, it's really not that stellar Matt I mean look at the victories that they got tell me who of substance that they really have beaten and usually in the SEC you can name off three or four of these teams but what I mean South Carolina uh, Missouri Auburn I mean stop me when when they have a good win Vandy Florida well, Tennessee to three over Oregon oh I, I know but that we're talking about September the third and and Oregon is nowhere in the conversation 
Okay, nowhere in the conversation after the losses that they've had. But, you know, again, Auburn, Vandy, Florida, Tennessee. We saw how phony Tennessee is. Uh, in Kentucky, they scored 16 points against Kentucky. They scored 27 against Tennessee, which have a, has an awful defense. You scored 26 against Missouri. Now, they're undefeated, Matt, but this is a down year in the SEC, and I'm still waiting for Georgia to play a contender because I'm not sold on them. Well, I think it's a down year in college football, and the fans have been clamoring for an 8- or 12-team playoff forever. Now, of course, we're finally going to get one here in a couple of years. But this is one of those years where you really need one because without one, you're going to go into this championship week and nobody cares. And I don't know that there's any real buzz about the CFP this year. The great thing about the CFP in previous years is you had dominant Alabama every year, dominant Clemson every year, and then even the years where Alabama or Clemson didn't win, LSU and Georgia, you know, they were in there and lost to LSU and Georgia, which made for dramatic effect. Oh, my goodness, can LSU beat Alabama to win it all? And they did it. Can Georgia beat Alabama to win it all? And they did it. But without any of those teams, without a, you know, a Clemson, without Alabama, without this big heavyweights that, that really make you intrigued, this feels like it's probably going to be one of the more lackluster championship weeks and lackluster CFPs that we've seen. Well, I'm holding out that the college football playoff does get ramped up a bit and, and we're feeling good, but I'm with you with the, the championship games because again, like I'm looking at him and I'm going, wow, this is, Totally lackluster. And if you want to say parody, okay, parody's good, but we're not even getting these, these, these great matchups again. Purdue. Who would have thought that we're talking about Purdue in a Big Ten championship game, right? It just, it's, it seems strange. Hey, man, let's go to the NFL side here and uh, give me some thoughts on, um, on Sunday's games that we had. Some interesting games. We saw the Philadelphia Eagles defeat the Packers last night. Philly continues uh to to roll through things here now at 10 and 1 beat the Packers 40 to 33. Uh we saw Kansas City take care of the Rams. That thing opened 14, ended up at 16. The Chiefs end up winning by 16, 26 to 10. Uh for me the Niners were very impressive pitching a shutout even though they only scored 13 points. Uh which of the games really stood out for you? I think, number one, I'm going to start with Tampa Bay. And I know that at the end of the day, you know, there was a lot of wind. There were some circumstances in that game. But everybody said, okay, you know, Tom Brady has the separation with Giselle behind him. Tampa is going to start to put this thing together now. Watch out. Let's believe they won two games in a row, albeit the Rams and the Seahawks, to win those games. But everyone said, finally, the Bucks are going to get going, and they failed. And then once again, the Baltimore Ravens finding ways to lose football games is amazing. And then the third thing that stuck out to me is, oh, yeah, this is the Las Vegas Raiders offense we expected to see all season long. Yeah, I agree with you on, on all counts there. And you go back to the, to the Buccaneers, again, this is a team that just it seems – that they, there's a lot of holes in this team, especially in the offensive line. Brady is, is not the same quarterback. And to lose the way they did yesterday, only scoring 17 points, you're not going to win many football games scoring 17. Uh, you got to score more than that against the, 
Cleveland Browns, 23-17 in overtime. And then you've got the Raiders go into overtime, 40-34. to We talked about that in the first hour in the Josh Jacobs show, well, how phenomenal uh, that was. And it's great to get excited because they did win back-to-back games. But, you know, they were both in overtime. They were against the Broncos, and they were against the Seahawks. And I don't know about you, Matt, but I just, you know, I think we're starting to see the Seattle Seahawks team that we thought that we would see at the beginning of the season where, you know, now Geno Smith made some bonehead decisions yesterday and I just can't see Seattle. I mean, if they make the playoffs, this team is one and done. Agreed. But look, Seattle was supposed to be one of the worst three teams in football. And no matter what happens here on out the rest of the season, Geno Smith is better than our preseason expectations. The Seattle Seahawks are better than our expectations. But that still might mean they don't make the playoffs because we thought they were going to be the worst team in football. Um, what's more interesting is some of the teams that were supposed to be really good, Tampa, who's not, the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champion, who are 3-8 and eight and done, the Green Bay Packers, who are now 4-8 and eight and done, And then on the flip side, some of the teams that we didn't expect to be this good, the New York Jets at seven and four, the Miami Dolphins at eight and three. Look, when Tua is healthy and they can keep him on the field, this is the best offense in football, TC. In fact, for all you fantasy players that had Tua this week, they pulled him at the beginning of the third quarter. He had 299 yards to start the third quarter. Never saw the field again because they were up 30 to nothing. This Tampa Bay offense, when healthy, reminds me of Pat Mahomes and that Kansas City offense when Tyreek Hill was there the year that they won the Super Bowl. That AFC East is unbelievable, and the Jets and Dolphins are the two biggest pleasant surprises in the NFL this season. They are. All right. And then a game that uh, I really kept a close eye on on Sunday was Cincinnati and Tennessee, a little revenge mode for the Titans who got beat by the Bengals uh, last year, and I thought Cincinnati would pull this thing out, but man, they shut Derrick Henry down yesterday, give the Bengals defense a lot of credit, and then offensively, without having Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, Cincinnati got the job done. It just seems like here we go again with with Tennessee when you think this could be a good spot for them, and again, whether it's betting we're talking about or just you know, you know, trying to, you know, having to, them to win the game, uh, they could not get the job done yesterday. That's right. I mean, I, look, Tennessee's still going to win their division easily. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals really did need that game, though. I mean, this, they fought like they needed it. This is a defense that doesn't get a lot of credit that I thought played maybe their best game yesterday. They were hitting on every single play. And a Tennessee team that played well enough, I mean, I, they certainly could have won that football game, but they didn't seem like the team on the football field that needed that win Cincinnati did, and I thought they played like it in every facet of the game. All right, so we had two games that came down to basically the final play of the game or in the, in the Wayne seconds uh, where coaches opted to go for two instead of kicking the extra point to send the game into OT. So you had the Chargers trailing after they scored the touchdown, 24-23 against Arizona on the road. They decide to go for it. They nail it. They win 25-24. Jacksonville comes storming back. Like you said, Baltimore seemed to have this game in total hand here. Total hand. And I was actually 
I watched a little bit of this game on TV, but uh, I was actually driving. And when Baltimore scored their final touchdown, it seemed like, okay, kind of like an attack on touchdown. I was listening to the Jacksonville Jaguars broadcast and their announcers were like, uh, okay, you know, it's done. It's over. And then here comes Trevor Lawrence leading them back. And not only do they score, then they go for two and they nail it and they beat the Ravens 28, 27. So going back to your point that you said in the beginning of this conversation that, Hey, Baltimore found another way to lose here. Talk about those two games and more importantly, the decision to go for two for, you know, now Jacksonville, I get it. Their season's over. They're not going to the playoffs, but the chargers, I mean, they're fighting for their lives to get in the playoffs here. Most coaches would probably say, okay, let's, let's kick the PAT and, and take our chances in OT. But, uh, Brandon Staley says, nah, forget that. Let's go for it. And they, and it paid off and they got to win. Amazing gamble. If they lose that game, TC, and, and fall to five and six, which would have put them uh, in a really difficult spot to make the playoffs, there would have been a lot of people scrutinizing, uh, you know, the coach and the team, and what a disappointing season compared to expectations. Thank goodness he got it. On the other side, the Baltimore Ravens are absolutely perplexing. At 7-4, and four, I think you could make a case that they're on par with the very best teams in the AFC and maybe could stand their ground against any of them. Look at their four losses. A four-point loss to the Miami Dolphins where they were up 21 points in the fourth quarter and blew it. A 23-20 loss to the Buffalo Bills. A 24-20 loss at New York to the Giants. And now this 1.28-27 loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Every single one of the Baltimore Ravens losses were close. Every single one of them, they had the lead at the end of the game and blew it. But I think some of that has to make us nervous if they make the playoffs and continues to be what scares the Ravens and and what scares fans about the long-term future of Lamar Jackson as a quarterback is he's great for three quarters. But when they need to get that game-sealing score in the fourth quarter, he hasn't been so great. This defense hasn't been so great. Coach Harbaugh has to take just as much of the blame as Lamar Jackson. This defense has been a sieve to each and every team they play in the fourth quarter when that team needs a drive to beat the Ravens. Something's got to change here, TC. This is a team that for three quarters is as good as any team in the NFL and then it is as bad as any team in the fourth quarter. You know, it's a great point, too. And it seems like we talk about it every week where coaches are playing not to lose. And that was the Ravens situation again yesterday. Or like you said, they're playing lights out. The defense look like the old school Baltimore Ravens. And we know that they're not the same uh, you know, defensive juggernaut that they used to be. But they've looked exceptionally well on the defensive side of the ball. And then all of a sudden, just they go by the wayside in the in the last couple minutes of this game and you know the the prevent defense you know again you're playing more against the clock matt we see it week in and week out with this stuff where it really doesn't seem that any lead is safe i agree with that that the nfl it seems like games are closer and closer at the end because these high pace no huddle offenses don't know how to milk clock away But it's more than that with the Baltimore Ravens. They can't get their offense going either late. They just can't. It seems like they are prone to more issues in the fourth quarter than most and cannot win these tight games at the end. And that worries me down the stretch is because most of Baltimore wins this year 
actually come by margin. They beat the Jets by 15. They beat the Patriots by 11. They beat the Bucks by 5. They beat the Saints by 14. Double-digit win against the Panthers. When they win, it's because there's not an opportunity for their opponent to come back and score and win in the fourth at the end of the game. When they have trouble is when they're only up by a score late in the game. They cannot hold on. And at some point, some of that has to be coaching and the way you run your franchise. Yeah, it is. It is. And maybe, you know, and I think a, a lot of the blame or some of the blame goes to Lamar Jackson as well, too. Again, you know, this guy has failed miserably in the playoffs over the years. He doesn't seem like a big time player. He's a big time talent. But again, you know, there, I think there's a reason why the uh, Ravens have have not signed him to a long-term deal and maybe you know they are going to wait and if if uh, the Ravens you know continue to lose games like this and they have another early uh playoff exit you know maybe maybe he will not get that long-term contract that he's hoping for look and they have to make the playoffs first TC mm-hmm. i mean it's 7 and 4 now because of all those tight losses they're no lock to make the playoffs And this could also affect them in the playoffs because this is a team, because of their record now, that's likely to be playing all their starters in Week 17, fighting to make sure they get into the playoffs rather than resting Week 17, preparing for the playoffs. They just feel like a team that something's missing there, that one piece, that one killer instinct that teams that win have. Something's missing there with the Baltimore Ravens, their inability to put games away. Final thing here, Monday Night Football tonight, it's Pittsburgh and Indianapolis. Looks like a good game, Matt. I mean, neither team really excites you, especially at the quarterback position, but I'll give Matt Ryan credit. He has looked better the last couple of weeks, looked fantastic two weeks ago at Allegiant Stadium against the Raiders. But what is your take on tonight's game? The Colts are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Total is 39-and-a-half. Is the right team favored here? Yeah, maybe. I think sometimes when things aren't going so great, you have to make a change. And sometimes a lot of that change comes a resurgent attitude, a resurgent charisma. And it feels like that's what the Colts have right now. They almost beat Philly last week. You know, it took the Eagles had to, to claw tooth and nail to win that game by one point. They get the win over the Raiders the week before. So, so far, so good. One in one, but two great performances for this Colts team since Jeff Saturday took over. Um, and I think that they have a resurgent attitude. If nothing else, you could make a case that both of these teams are in the same situation. Really good defenses, good lines on both sides, but haven't been able to generate points on the offensive end. So at the end of the day, we have to nitpick little things. One of the little things here for me, cornerback William Jackson the third out for the Steelers. Running back Jalen Warren, who's really been coming on out for the Steelers. I like the resurgent attitude by the Indianapolis Colts. Thus, in a game that's basically a pick 'em, I got a small lead torn Indy. I'm with you. That's part of my best bets. I like the Colts uh, tonight. I think it's a great spot, and I I do like the move with Jeff Saturday. Uh, obviously, this team wants to play for him. And again, if uh, Matt Ryan is allowed some time, uh, he will be okay defensively. The big question is, you know, T.J. Watt. Can, you know, wh- how how good is he going to be tonight? Can he put pressure? Um, and bust through that offensive line with the Colts. And we know one thing, the Colts still have a pretty staunch D. So uh, I'm looking forward to this game. A, a lot of people are anticipating a low-scoring game, but uh, 
yeah, I think the the, the right team is favored here. It's two and a half. I, I do like the Colts myself. So we're on the same page with that. All right, brother. Appreciate you as always. Always great having you on. He is Matt Holt, uh, U.S. Integrity, and uh, talking a little uh, betting on both sides of the counter there and breaking down the college and the NFL docket. All right, brother. We'll look forward to you now. Am I going to see you Friday night at Allegiant Stadium for the uh, Pac-12 championship game between the Trojans and the Utes? Sorry, my friend. I, I'm sending some of the crew over to Allegiant Friday. I'm off to Atlanta for Georgia LSU. Wow, you're going to the big boys, huh? Yeah, yes, sir. Okay, uh, you know I expect plenty of food pictures. All right, there you go. Barbecue all weekend, my friend. That's what I'm talking about. All right, brother, take care. All right, TC. There he is. Matt Holt uh, joins us. See, all, all about the barbecue. That's what it's all about. All right, we come back. Chuck Esposito is going to join us over at Red Rock. Talk a little more. NFL. That's exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane. I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, very, very busy weekend. We have plenty of college football, the NFL. And I know that uh, a lot of people, including my next guest, still recovering from the plethora of turkey, cranberry sauce, or who knows what. Maybe he ventured off and went a little prime rib or something. I don't know. He is Chuck Esposito. He's at Red Rock. He has many of those great food options that are right under the roof, right where he's at right now, too. So I don't know, Chuck, were you eating at home? Were you eating on the road? Break it down for me. Let's go. Give me the X's and O's of Thanksgiving. I'll be happy to, T. First, it's uh, good to be on with you as always. And it was kind of a combination of eating at home and eating on the road because I ate here at Red Rock. See? We went to uh, T-Bones on Thanksgiving night. Um, I had some family in town, and uh, it was phenomenal. It's just a terrific atmosphere. The food's great. Um, I couldn't have asked for kind of a better Thanksgiving evening. Um, I went the turkey route. I think most of us did. I think there was two people that kind of ventured off a little bit. Um, but overall, it was a phenomenal time uh, at T-Bones here. And, and if uh, some of the listeners haven't eaten there yet, I highly recommend it for a tremendous uh, steak dinner and just a really cool experience. Man, Chuck, that is tough. It is tough to go to T-Bones and not order the steak. I get Thanksgiving. I know they 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 do it up great for Thanksgiving, uh, you know, with the turkey and all that. But but I mean, I couldn't do it. You have more discipline than me because once I get that menu in my hand, I am going straight for the fillet or the New York or the wagyu. I I, I can't get my eyes off of that and go to turkey. How how do you do it? It was easy. You know, I, I've, I've had those experiences in T-Bones. You know, I've eaten the filet and yeah. I've eaten the, the ribeye. And um, so, you know, having an opportunity again, it's just tradition. And um, I did it last year as well. And it was just so good that, hey, I wanted to do it again. So, uh, but hey, whatever most people like, you know, to each their own. And um, as I said, a few people in my family did kind of venture off, had a great experience with what they had to eat as well. And uh, it's good. I mean, Thanksgiving was fun. It's always good when you've got uh, kind of family in town and get to spend some time with your loved ones. And I hope that you and all the listeners did as well. And it even made it more fun with uh, with football that day, as always. And, you know, it's kind of an exciting weekend of college and pro. And um, it's getting really interesting now, I think, uh, as, as we move forward with uh, the teams that are really battling for the playoff spots in, in college. And then kind of a wide-open uh, pro slate, which saw – 
bad beats on both sides of the counter yesterday. Man, I know. Well, talk a little bit about that. Which was uh, which one hurt the most? You know, I, I think you know when when you look at uh, Atlanta. Um, well, actually, two from our side of the counter. Atlanta. Um, you know, driving down to the I think the the one or two yard line had an opportunity to to punch it in there late um, against Washington and get the win it was bad. And then also the San Francisco New Orleans game. Um, we I think it was the biggest decision on our board. T is that we needed the Saints. Um, they're getting nine and a half, and to to have San Francisco only score thirteen and you don't cover and you were inside the five or inside the 10 on 11 different, you had 11 plays, I think inside the 10 and you came away empty handed, including missing a 42 yard field goal. Um, that one was a tough one for sure. You know what I saw in that game yesterday, Chuck is the Jimmy G alert went uh, up for me. Am I saying, wow. I mean, I, I saw signs yesterday, probably the first time really this season where Garoppolo looked like that Garoppolo with some some playoff failures, you know? And I said, man, if, if this is going to be the Jimmy G that we see come January, 49ers, for as good as they are, as much talent and personnel that they have on both sides of the ball, man, Jimmy G can come back and haunt you. And for the most part, I'm a Jimmy G proponent, but I did not like what I saw uh, uh, for him yesterday against the Saints D. You know, the Saints are a pretty good D team to begin with. Um, the Niners have kind of had to battle their way back a little bit. Um, I, I am not at all panicked. I mean, this guy is 34 and 18 as the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. You look at the other guys that they've thrown out there during his tenure. They are well below 500. So they've already kind of talked about, you know, is it going to be Aaron Rodgers next year? Are they going to give Trey Lance another opportunity? I don't get it. Um, you know, in their particular case, when you've got skill position players now, like Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, who seems to be playing even better with Jimmy G and Kittle, with that defense, um, you just need to manage the game. And again, I think it speaks volumes. When you look at a quarterback who is 34 and 18 with your team, I think it's unfair to, to continue to say that, you know, is he the guy that is holding them back? He absolutely isn't the guy that's holding them back. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that because, again, I'm a proponent of, of Jimmy G. And, again, I don't like Trey Lance. I thought that was a wasted draft pick. He's your best quarterback. There's no question about it. But, you know, there are 49er faithful that are are still kind of anti him, which, you know, I don't understand. But I'm just saying yesterday, Chuck, he did not look really confident for a good portion of that game. And that's that's all I was saying. I mean, you got to be able to to get the ball in the end zone and lead your team on on, on longer drives, I think, again against the Saints yesterday. So he's the best guy that they've got. There's no question about it, but we do see him go, you know, just kind of make these 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 mistakes that sometimes you're scratching your head. And again, so I don't want to be, get it too twisted here that that I don't like him. I, I he is the right guy. There's no question, but he does, you know, have these drawbacks that come out occasionally, and I saw more of those yesterday than I wanted to see, I guess, if that makes sense. I, I, yeah, I totally get it, T. I guess you can say that about so many quarterbacks true, in the league. True. That, 
It is literally tough to to go out there and throw for 330 and three or four touchdowns every single game. You're going to have games where you're just off a little bit. I think it's a look-ahead game a little bit for San Francisco, knowing that Miami was coming to town um, next week. It's just one of those games. Saints, you know, have have a good D. It was kind of an ugly game altogether. We've seen Joe Burrow have some struggles at times. We've seen Patrick Mahomes go through that. We've seen, you know, Dak, you name the quarterback. They've had stretches or games like that. He still did enough to get them to win. Um, I, I, I guess for me, it's I, I still like the Niners. I think that, you know, we talked a few weeks ago. I said, I still think they're going to win the West. Currently, Seattle's not even a playoff team because all four in the NFC East are. Um, I think it's a dangerous Niners team. I think the fact that you can run the ball with McCaffrey, I know Mitchell's hurt right now, um, but you can run the ball with McCaffrey. He can be involved in the short passing game. And now with Ayuk and Kittle and Samuel and that defense, I think they're scary. I think they're a team that, um, especially winning the West, if, if they do hold on to win it, they get to host that first playoff game. It's only two games on the road. And I think they're good enough to beat any team um, in the, in the uh, uh, NFC. So I'm not really concerned at all, but I think this game against Miami, kind of an old, you know, 80s, two teams that dominated Dolphins 49ers game, I think is going to be fun and really a test for both those two teams. Um, but again, for me, Niners on, on a very short list that I think could be playing in Glendale in early February. I, I agree with you. And the other team on that list is the Philadelphia Eagles on in the NFC side of things. Uh, a little bit uh, scary last night uh, against the Packers. And when Aaron Rodgers went to the locker room, here comes Jordan Love. And Love actually led him on a, a nice little drive, had a nice little long touchdown strike. But uh, the Eagles uh, get the job done, and uh, they get the cover here barely last night, 40-33. to What are your thoughts on the Eagles? And uh, the over uh, players had to be very happy in that game with uh, 73 points being scored. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't ideal for us that it fell seven. The game kind of hovered around there and ping-ponged a little bit. Uh, Close under seven. You had some buys above seven um, at times. So not an ideal outcome for us. Um, better, though, them winning by seven than the Packers winning the game. Um, they were up double digits on two different occasions in that game. I still like Philadelphia a lot. I think, you know, you're you're a young team who I don't think people expected them to be quite where they're at right now. Um, they can flat out run, T. I mean, as good as Jalen Hurts has been, and with, with A.J. Brown and Goddard, if they get him back healthy, and Smith and Watkins, um, they're good. But the fact that they can just eat clock, and churn, and you've got, you know, Kenneth Grainwell, you've got uh, Miles Sanders back there, you've got Boston Scott and Jalen Hurts, they can just kill you on the ground, which is demoralizing to a defense. I think defensively, the addition of Quinn and Sue is something they had to do. I still I worry about their D just a little bit, um, but they're still scary good. And for me, um, they're one of those, you know, uh, two or three teams in the NFC right now. I'm going to say it's the Eagles and 49ers first. And the Cowboys, just a tick below that right now, I all think are good and have the necessary ingredient to move to the next level. I mean, meaning playing in, in early February. All right, Chuck Esposito joins us at Station Casinos over there at Red Rock. Chuck, uh, talk a little bit about the Raiders and the Seahawks yesterday. We know that uh, the Seahawks were a four-point favorite in this game. Raiders come back, win the game outright. Number one, how was that outcome for you and the books? And this, uh, talk a little bit about the Raiders winning two in a row, both in OT, both on the road. 
it was a fair outcome for us, TC. I think we've talked, you know, it was the first time that, or the second straight week that we saw ticket counts go against the Raiders. However, um, a lot of late money and some carryover was on the Raiders. Um, so we did, you know, best case for us was them winning, um, not losing, but covering the number. So having them win was best case of the possible outcomes, um, but it wasn't phenomenal because you're still getting a lot of Raider backing. But it was strange because nine straight weeks, we saw, um, you know, all the money come in on the Raiders, ticket counts on the Raiders. We've now seen two straight weeks where the public was kind of against them uh, to somewhat as far as money coming in and ticket counts, yet they got there with back-to-back overtime wins and even their game coming up against the Chargers, which I think is a must win. I mean, it, with you know, where they're at right now um, at 4-7, and seven, it still is a monumental climb, but there's still a lot of games left. There's a lot of teams hovering around that 500 mark. Um, if they win out, I guess you could always see them make a, a mini run. They can't afford a second loss to the Chargers. And we're starting to see some money already show on the Raiders as that number has dropped a little bit uh, against the Chargers on Sunday. All right. Uh, again, Chuck, this is like the third week in a row that we're talking about the favorites and the dogs. We're pretty much even there. Uh, isn't that the way that you saw that? And, and what, how was that outcome uh, for the books and the players? Yeah, overall, it was a, a decent morning. Um, afternoon was, was kind of break even a little bit, and, and the, the late game wasn't ideal. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the two bad beats for our side of the counter, I think for the guests was, you know, having the, uh, um, the Ravens kind of give that game up late against the uh, um, Jags yesterday, and then having the uh, Bucks lose um, to the Browns, both games that looked like the Bucks and Ravens were going to easily win and cover the number, um, it didn't happen late. So kind of, as I mentioned earlier, a bad beat Sunday for both sides of the counter. Um, overall, a, a decent day on our side, a winning day. Um, but really, the late game took some of that away uh, with just the way it fell on seven. Monday night football tonight, the Steelers and the Colts. The Colts are a two-and-a-half-point favorite, 39-and-a-half, very low total, despite the indoor conditions. But Two very good defenses here. You got uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers with Kenny Pickett, their rookie quarterback, who's really only making his third start here. And then you got Matt Ryan, who seems a little bit rejuvenated here of the last couple weeks. And let's let's be honest. I mean, Ryan looked great against the Raiders here two weeks ago at Allegiant Stadium. Last week, he looked good as well, too. And probably they should have got the victory uh, against the Eagles. Eagles had to come from behind and win that game, what, 17-16. to But uh, give me your thoughts about tonight's game. Yeah, I mean, they easily could have won that game. They could be 2-0 and with Jeff Saturday and Matt Ryan back at quarterback again. Um, they're a small favorite. Um, you know, the Colts have maybe a tiny bit better chance to potentially get into the postseason. Steelers at 3-7 and could – this could be Mike Tomlin's first losing year as head coach, which is almost unfathomable to even think about. Um, they're 1-4 and on the road. Uh, they're not quite getting that key number of a field goal yet in this game. Um, you know, we're going to be Steeler fans tonight. Uh, the betters have favored the Colts in this game. 57% of the tickets, T, are on the Colts. Um, a lot of overaction showing with 64% of the tickets on the over. But the guests that like the Steelers like them to win outright with a very small number here. You have 54% of the tickets on the Steelers on the money line. So if you like the Steelers tonight with that small number, we're seeing a lot of money line play there. Um, but the Colts at home again, um, you know, they, they played fairly well and, and better with Jeff Saturday over the last two weeks. But uh, young quarterback in Kenny Pickett, Matt Ryan, 
Um, we'll see how it plays out tonight. But I think when the schedule initially came out, we all thought this Colts team would be on top of the AFC South, um, not below 500. And maybe the Steelers, who were kind of that Vogue team that everybody backed as far as their prices went for win totals and conference and division and Super Bowl, would be in a much better spot than in last place at 3-7 and seven in the AFC North. All right, and speaking of another team that's been a little disappointing, we saw them again fall yesterday, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady. They go into Cleveland and and lose the game, goes into o- overtime. But uh, give me some thoughts about the Bucks. You know, I, I they're they're not a good team. Team, right? You know, they're five and six. They're probably really fortunate that um, Atlanta finds ways to to lose games. Um, and Atlanta's just been horrific on the road where they're one and five. I think that loss yesterday um, and a loss to Carolina could come back to, to haunt Atlanta. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that at five and seven right now, they're, they're still in the hunt there. I still think the Bucks are ultimately going to win because they have enough talent um, to be better than the teams in the NFC, the other three teams in the NFC South. And you get them into the postseason with some of the weapons that they have and Brady, that switch could be flipped at any time and they could win a playoff game or two. No question about it. But they're not a real good team right now. They're just three and three at home. Um, you know, they're the only division leader right now in all of football that sits there with less than a winning record at five and six. But I guess lucky for them, they play in the NFC South. An early look ahead to uh, Sunday at Allegiant Stadium, Chuck, where the Chargers come into town against the Raiders. Raiders are feeling pretty good about themselves, winning those two overtime games in a row the last two weeks, like we talked about. But the Chargers got that gutsy uh, win yesterday uh, where Kyler Murray did start for Arizona, and uh, the game was back and forth, and they score the touchdown at the end. They elect to go for two. They nail it. They get it. Same thing that happened with Jacksonville yesterday, going for two and defeating Baltimore. Uh, kind of a little risky uh, proposition, especially for the Chargers. We know that Brandon Staley loves doing this, but usually to his detriment. But that was a gutsy move. It paid off because think about this. If the Chargers don't get that yesterday, they're coming in here to Las Vegas on Sunday with a losing record. And this team, as we know, Chuck, they're good enough. They've got talent. Uh, but still at six and five now, they're going to be hungry to come in here for, uh, to get a victory against the Raiders. Uh, how do you see this game playing out? And then talk a little bit about the betting action. I think it's a big game for both teams, T. I think, as you kind of alluded to, it was a risky play for the Chargers. But, you know, had they lost that game and been five and six, we've talked about, you know, Nathaniel Hackett and Kingsbury seats being, you know, quite hot. I have to imagine that Brandon Staley's would have started to get just a little bit warm as well. I think the expectation level with the moves they made in the offseason, although J.C. Jackson's out for the year, but picking up Khalil Mack, that everybody liked the Chargers not only to be a playoff team, but to actually win the AFC West. Um, that hasn't happened. They've been two and three at home, which unfortunately, and I know, again, I, I repeat a lot of the stuff is that we talked about this. They, they're <laughs> the only team in the league that doesn't have a true home field advantage. And I, I think at some point that, you know, that needs to change, um, that um, maybe the league moves them ultimately back to San Diego. You know, I've heard that floated, but they do not have a home field advantage. They're actually two and three at home and four and two away. Um, the Raiders, who have won two in a row in overtime, um, you know, every game now is is critical to the Raiders. They can't afford to lose a game. Neither one of these two teams is a playoff game today. It's still a big game to the Chargers because they want to cut into some of those teams that have a better record ahead of them. When you look at, you know, the Bills, the Jets, um, the Bengals, 
all with better records who are not division leaders right now. Um, it's a big game to both teams, but I think it's a much, you know, for the Chargers to stay in that playoff hunt, um, they, they've got to take care of business here and win this game against the Raiders. Um, but the early action, as I said, has been on the Raiders, where we've seen this number come down a little bit since we posted it early this morning. And we saw that great game uh, last time the Chargers were here at the end of last season. Uh, what a phenomenal uh, game that was. One of between... the best games of the year. No question. No question. But Chuck, I, I think that the Raiders in that exact same situation that the Chargers in. You talk about the Chargers, no home field advantage. The Raiders clearly don't have that as well. I mean, every week, I mean, we're just seeing so many uh, of the visiting team fans that are here. It does not feel like a, a home field advantage at all for the Raiders. So probably the two teams in the NFL that, that are the only two teams that really don't have a true home field advantage. You know, it's funny, T, but I think that the team, I, I, I think it's two different circumstances. I think the fact that the Chargers, um, you know, share a stadium, share SoFi with the Rams and the Rams are, are the dominant team as far as just kind of fan base goes. I think it's that. With the Raiders, I mean, the Raiders still have a tremendous following. There are so many people I know that are Raider fans and go to the games. Even when they played in Oakland, they used to commute and go. I think it's if the Raiders start winning that you're going to see that fan base even grow. When you're off to a 2-7 and seven start, um, it's easy to say. As this time of year approaches and it's holidays and everybody's busy, you're not nearly as excited or as enthusiastic about a 2-7 and seven team. It's a team that made the playoffs last year. They almost beat the Bengals. They, they trade for Devontae Adams. They sign Chandler Jones. They, they go out and make a huge splash at head coach with Josh McDaniel. Everybody thought, hey, this Raider team could potentially win the AFC West. The West was going to be the toughest division in all of football. You've got the Raiders at 4-7 and seven and the Broncos at 3-8, and eight, two of the bigger disappointments in the league. Um, I still think the Raiders can make this a, a, a good home for them, but I think winning solves yes. that. Yep. And, you know, I'm just going to go back a little bit. That has happened to the Cowboys many times. That, you know, the Cowboys for a, the longest time had a losing record at AT&T Stadium because so many people went there to watch the opposition play. This year they're 5-1. and one. You can see the enthusiasm, the crowd, the atmosphere. I think winning really will solve that for the Raiders like it did for the Cowboys. I think the Chargers are in a totally different, you know, ballpark that – it's hard to share the stadium with a dominant team that has a larger fan base, is the defending Super Bowl champs. I just think for, for the Raiders and Cowboys, it is still a home court field advantage. I don't feel that way for the Chargers. Yeah. All right, Chuck. Uh, great stuff. We appreciate you as always. Chuck, always with us here on the Monday. And uh, get over to any of the station casino properties over there. You got the kiosk. You got everything else. You got the STN mobile app. Go out there and say hello to Chuck and the great staff uh, there at Red Rock or any of the Station Casino properties. Brother, appreciate you. Enjoy the leftovers and enjoy the game tonight. All right. Thanks to you too, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. I want to thank Houston Nutt for joining us. The coach, great stuff as always with him. Of course, Chuck Esposito as well too. And also our good friend, Matt Holt as well. All right. Uh, appreciate Everybody for joining us. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. And shout out to Marky Mark for stepping in today. Great job. 
uh, you know, uh, taking the snaps there uh, very well. So Marky Mark, appreciate you uh, as well, uh, manning the other side of the glass. We're back at it again tomorrow. Terrible Tuesday and a whole lot more. World Cup, we'll talk about that. More college football, more NFL. You miss any part of the show, go to the website, the podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Go there and check out T.C. Martin's show as well. Our blog is up there for the Raiders. Our interview with Steve Berline from last week and all the other interviews on the interview page. We'll catch you again right here tomorrow at 2.